My guest today on Nebraska Gems is a Nebraska TV and radio legend. He graduated from Lincoln High, where he played football, and the University of Nebraska, where he was a business major. He also served in the Army Air Corps in World War II. He was the head of the highly successful Stewart Radio Group that created KFOR and is headquartered here in Lincoln, Nebraska. He has an extensive broadcasting background, including uh, the national chairman for NAB radio and television. He and Jim Stewart started the 1011 TV station that we know here in Lincoln, Nebraska. And he is in the NAB and Nebraska Broadcasting Hall of Fame. Talking about the legendary Dick Chapin. Hi, Dick. Hi. How are you? I'm just getting along pretty good. Well, you're doing really well for somebody that's 99 years old. Yeah. Have you thought about it? Because you look 79. <laughs> I don't know about that. I, I feel 99. What's your secret? What's your secret to such a long and happy life? I don't know. I guess the good Lord's been looking out after me. Yeah. I've tried to walk the narrow path, not yeah. always, but I've done a pretty good job. Well, tell me about that because you've had some close calls with your health uh, in the past. You've had some close calls, period, in life. Oh, yes, I have. Talk about those. Well, uh, I think the first close call I had was I was coming home from Atlantic, Iowa when I lived over there. And uh, I was on Highway 6, and because of the cattle trucks driving into the Omaha South Stockyards, they had a kind of a curved curb, and they had those dual wheels, and the dirt was dug out right. alongside the road. And I was taking a gentle curve going around that on that curve, and my wheel slipped over in the thing, and the car turned over three and a half times. I was coming home to go hunting, and I was sitting in the highway after the accident. I wound up on the top of the car, I climbed out the window, and my gun was with me, my shotgun, and it was all together, and somebody stopped in the car and came over to see whether I was hurt or not, and they saw me with my gun, and they said, you know, in Iowa, you can't have a gun put together in a car. <laughs> I said, well, I was kind of dazed. Yeah. I had a big lump on my head. And so uh, they, I asked them, well, they said, where are you going? I said, I'm going home to Lincoln. Yeah. They said, well, we're going to Omaha. And when I got to Omaha, they said, we'll take you to Lincoln. They were very nice about it. Yeah. And I survived that. Right. I mean, the next day up in Council Bluffs, they showed me the car. He said, that's the one you were in. This one over here, not near as bad. <laughs> but three people were killed in that car. Wow. So that was my first incident. And then, of course, later in life, I I had a uh, triple bypass uh -huh. and I survived that. Right. And then I had a stroke that paralyzed the right side of my body and I survived that. Yeah. And so, I think the good Lord has things for me to do yet. Yeah. And keeps uh, his hand in my hand. And right. So that's all I can attribute it to. A lot of people that know you don't, well, know of you, don't know that you were in the Air Corps. Uh, you were going to serve in World War II. And that was another way you could have passed on from this earth. Uh, but you started out in the infantry. You moved to the Air Corps. Tell us that story. That's right. You want me to tell yeah, you about yeah, that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I started in the infantry, got all through the training. When we were in the infantry, about the 
last couple of weeks, uh, a fellow from Lincoln with me, Ed Koppel, they had an airport down there and they flew planes over and every time they do that, the air raid, air raid, you had yeah. to jump in the ditch. And uh, finally one day I looked at that and we were down in the ditch and it was about 100 degrees out down there in Macon, Georgia, and I said, we're smarter than this, we ought to get out of it. So we applied to get in the Air Force. Well, that mm. made the uh, right. sergeant pretty unhappy with it. But we uh, luckily got to take the test and we passed the test. And the last day that we were out there and we were standing uh, at attention, he wrote off the names of the people that were being transferred into to the Air Force. Right. And I was one of them. So that was my Air Force career. Then I started yeah. in the Air Force and a lot of things happened there. I got transferred a lot. I went to country yeah. school, did a lot of things, and then uh, uh, I was crewed up on an A-20, which was a new airplane at the time, and uh, they uh, uh, were getting ready to fly a squadron over. Right. And my mother had a heart attack, and I was given an emergency leave to come home to Lincoln and see Right. And when I was here, they were shipped out and they went to the South Pacific. And uh, the first mission they flew, there were 2820s in formation. Right. Uh, 15 of them were shot down. And you would have been in that group? I would have been in that group, yeah. And wow. I, but you were not a pilot, but you were a navigator. I was a bombardier. Okay. I was qualified to be a pilot, but I didn't get the pilot training. Okay. So, well, uh, an officer came into our barracks one night and announced that uh, if you were a bombardier or a navigator, something besides a pilot, maybe you should get into that training right yeah. away. And he said there was a big assault going on in Europe and uh, the Battle of the Bulge was going on. And so, dumb me, I raised my hand, I'd be transferred. And so, 50% uh, uh, of that group that went overseas was yeah. killed in the Battle of the Bulge. And you volunteered for it. Yeah, I volunteered for it. But you didn't get it. <laughs> Amazing. He's the, the legendary Dick Chapin. Let's talk a little bit. I, I obviously will go into detail about your radio career. How'd you, how'd you get started in radio? Well, I was the assistant manager of the Lincoln Chamber of Commerce when I was 26. Okay. And uh, uh, they hired a new guy to work there, and I found out that he was going to make as much money as I was. <laughs> and I'd been the assistant manager for over a year. I went into my boss uh, and talked to him about it. And he said, well, he said, you know, Dick, uh, the money's in making in salesmanship and stuff. And uh, that just stuck with me. That very same week, I was downtown by the Stewart Theater. And uh, I remember right where it was, because there was an insurance officer that Stewart owned. What year was this? Oh, I don't know. You can't yeah. ask me dates. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I would say it was, uh, it must have been the 19, early 1953. Okay. Okay, gotcha. And uh, so he stopped me on the street and wanted to know if I was interested in changing jobs. And I said, what do you mean? He said, I'd like to hire you to come to KFOR. We're, we were in radio right. and we're starting TV. And uh, so I thought it over and I said, I'll... I'll I'll go with you. Yeah. And I went back to my boss and told him, why well, you told me to get into sales. 
and I'm getting into sales at KF1. Right. No, that's how I started. I started in March of 53 as a salesman, and by September I was a manager. Why? How'd you do it so quickly? Well, I caught on to things pretty quickly, and yeah. uh, we had, we had uh, uh, started a television station. I didn't have anything to do with it at the time uh, of, right. in television. But uh, I was a manager of Cave War. Yeah. And they were, they got on the air and started, and they were losing a lot of money. They were losing $20,000 a month. What's that, about $200,000 today, probably? Yeah. That's, that's a well, lot of money. That didn't include depreciation, that was yeah. just a cash flow. Right. And Stuart was concerned about it, of course, as I would be. And he took me and we both went to New York to talk to the company that was our representative, right. the Paul H. Raymer Company. We went to his home on Park Avenue and the head of that firm called Paul H. Raymer told Jim that he'd have to uh, increase the power of the TV and he'd have to get uh, color. And we already had quite a bit of money in it and that was going to be a that was right at the start of it, mm -hmm. so uh, he didn't want to invest any more money. He was losing 20 months. We did not have a network then. Right, right. So we were just, everything had to be local. We had to buy uh, the old Ziv films. Uh, right. Uh, Liberace, he was on the air. Sure. That was a film. Yeah. And those programs, when we had to buy that service, and except the local news. And so uh, he, decided he wasn't going to spend that kind of money and he sold uh, uh, Channel 10 to a guy named Fetzer over from uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan. Right. And he already had three stations in the, the kind of a deal that they were associated up in Michigan. So he uh, decided to build a big tower out by Beaver Crossing. Right. It was the tallest tower in the country when it was right. built. And that put the signal way out west so that the Omaha stations couldn't reach that. Right. The Omaha stations, sure. there were four of them. There was ABC, CBS, NBC, and Dumont. Dumont didn't last very long. Right. But so he, you dominated western Nebraska. Oh, sure. He, well, he didn't go clear out where. Yeah. Well, then he applied to buy Grand Island, which was the Channel 11. And that was called, that was short space. It, it should not have been permitted, right. but the FCC granted it. So that gave him from Grand Island onwards right. to there. So that became a real coverage area. Right. And probably as many people in all the towns that he was serving right. as Omaha could serve. This is the Mel Mains, Linda Bierman era, right? Yeah. Mel Mains, yeah. and you were the station manager at that time? No, no, you were just an investor. No, no just I, in, I was in KFR. Okay, but you had, you, a, you had invested in 1011. He decided to sell. Okay. The manager he had was a guy named George X. Smith. Okay. He was the insurance guy with Stewart. Okay. He didn't know anything about television, but he put it on it. He let George Smith go, and I took over the radio, and he sold the television. Okay. To Fetzer, that's how I went. All right. Um... You, you've, you've told me before you didn't regret 
selling 1011, but there is a regret that you have that you didn't weren't able to pull off as far as television is concerned, Channel 7. Oh, yeah. Well, oh. tell us that story. Well, that was later in my career with him. We had bought several radio stations by then. You and Jim Stewart. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, one day a guy called me, a, a broker, and said he had Channel 7 for sale. I yeah. couldn't believe it. And he said, yes, you could buy it for $4 million. Right. And I couldn't believe it because by then I was pretty savvy about mm -hmm. the business. I was studying it and everything. And so uh, Jim Stewart's daughter was a countess in the Exarban mm -hmm. program at that time. And he was up there at that Exarban ball with his right. daughter. And I called him on a Saturday morning at his hotel. I found out where he was. And he wanted to know what the heck I was doing. Calling him at 7 o'clock in the morning up there. Yeah. And I told him I got the biggest deal of the century. And he says, what's that? I said, we can buy Channel 7 for $4 million. He said, are you crazy? <laughs> I said, no, I'm not crazy. But uh, he said, Dick, by then we'd acquired several things. And right. I bought all those things. We were doing pretty well by right. then. Uh, he said, are you crazy? He said, you got plenty to go to. Yeah. Serve, serve girls yeah. over now, so you better not do that. Right. Well, and one of those things that you're talking about, KFOR, was becoming a huge success at that time. You, some may not know that you're the one that brought Scott and Kathy together. Oh, yeah. Tell us that story, because those two are maybe the biggest tandem in Lincoln Radio history. I think, I don't know, I had to hire an announcer for morning, I wanted a new morning man, and we found Scott Young down in uh, Pensacola, Florida, or Fort Walton Beach, and we contacted him and he came and we, we hired him. And we put Scott on the air and he was very good, he was later, as you know, be yeah. head of the food bank, but he was very good. And in the mornings, and then after he was on for a bit, I thought it would be a novel idea to put a softer woman's voice and get right. appealed to the women. So I, uh, Kathy Bryce was my secretary, was my uh, receptionist at the time, and uh, she had a wonderful voice. And she, we had so many people compliment on her on answering the phone. So I called her one day and said, I'm going to put you on the air. Oh, oh Mr. Chapin. Well, she said, yes, I'm going to put you on air. So I did, and she and Scott just immediately connected and started going. But Scott, as I detected after a while listening to him, I thought Scott was talking a little bit down to her. Right. And I, I didn't like that. I, I wanted equality. Mm -hmm. So I called him in and talked to him about it, and he said, okay, he'd take care of it. But he kept on in the same yeah. way. Uh, and that's the day when Kathy had an organ in the studio. Sure, the organ yeah. And so uh, I said... Uh, Whose idea was that, to bring the organ in the studio? Uh, we had it there. I don't know where it was. It was just there, there. and she there. could play it. Yeah. Well, KFOR was on the air for a long time, time before me. Right, sure, yeah. I know that. So, but it was there. Uh-huh, it was just there. Yeah, so I, Kathy could play uh, so she wanted to do it. So okay. I thought it was a great idea. And yeah. She'd work it in. Well, anyhow, I, 
Scott said, okay, so he took the afternoon shift. He, he said, uh, I'm going to take you out there. Yeah. He said, okay. Well, it didn't last long after that. We hired another morning man to work with Kathy. And it fell flat on its face. Right. The, the guy didn't have the right vibes or something. So I wanted Kathy on here, but I wanted Scott back. Right. And so I called him in and talked to him about it. He said he was enjoying the afternoons and maybe he wouldn't right. do it. But I find if that's what you want, okay, but you won't go as far financially as you'd go if you were in right. the morning. Yeah. So that changed his mind right then. Anyway, back and they were huge, huge successful. If there was any kind of a program, uh, executive club or whatever right. club, or if there was any kind of a thing, Scott and Kathy were asked to be the MCs. I mean, it was just a foregone conclusion. Right, and there were times where they were getting a, a 30 share or oh. what a, ridiculous uh, shares. Oh, yeah. Not that you ever sold KFOR based on radio, uh, on what the ratings were, but the ratings were ridiculous. I didn't know sometimes what my, what my salesman was selling. <laughs> when it came to me and the ideas that I wanted, I sold radio ideas, or I sold ideas that could, we could put radio with it and make money. Right. Well, and talk about some of those ideas. You had some of the greatest radio well, promotional we had the ideas. Lucky Day the Lucky KFOR Lucky Day. Isn't that still here? That's, that's still calendar. around, I think. Isn't the Lucky Day calendar still here, or are they still using it? No, that? they're not they're, using, they're not using it anymore. No, they cut it off about yeah. three. But it was on the air for 30-some years. Yeah. Well, I just like to throw this in. That Kathy Blythe is still doing some work for Sure. Her, and she celebrated her 50th year this year. She came. She was out here the other day. And we were talking. She said, Mr. C, she always called me yeah. Mr. C. Mr. C, I just completed my 50th year with the Air Force. Yeah. That's unheard of. And by the way, one of the nicest people you'll ever meet oh, is Kathy Black. She is. She's just a gem. Yeah. Just a gem. Well, that's why we do this, Nebraska Gems. We might have Kathy on uh, after you. I want to talk about your family. Uh, you have two sons. Yeah. And your wife, who passed on about four years ago. Uh, yeah. Your wife's name. Uh, talk, talk about your wife. Oh. When I was in Atlantic, Iowa, for a year, I was the manager of the Chamber of Commerce over there. And uh, I went over and looked at the job and wasn't going to take it because right. this was right after I got out of, right. out of the service for mm -hmm. a while. And I had to get employment. Sure. And I had a high school football coach by the name of Frank Mueller uh, that uh, was in the Chamber, right. the Lincoln Chamber. Sure. And he recommended me. And I said, if you want that job, we'll get it. Well, I, I talked to them, and I drove down the street. They were parking in the middle yeah. of the street. And I said, yeah. I'm not going to live here. But uh, they offered me $3,600 a year. And that was what I was making at the Lincoln Chamber. So I decided I'm going to take the job. Now, you must have been a little hesitant. I mean, $3,600 a year, even then, was not very much money. <laughs> that was not very much money. And, <laughs> When I was there, I, I met Jackie and hired her as my secretary. And yeah. She later became my wife. Mm -hmm. And then we have two children. We had a girl, Deborah, mm -hmm. and she's married and lives in Omaha. Okay. She's 70 now. Okay. And wow. she's had diabetes all her life and has not, uh -huh. not real good eyesight. And then I have a son, Richard, 
okay. who lives in Lincoln, and he was he's 67, and he's a, the guy that started with Laszlo making the Laszlo's brew. He, yeah, talk about that because that was a huge. That's been a huge success for Dick. Yeah. Uh, how did he get started in the beer making well, business? Well, uh, I found out from him that he learned how. He became a an amateur beer maker and entered the state contest. And I found out he was making beer by reading it in the paper that he won first place in the beer right. making contest at the Nebraska State right. Fair. Right. I said, where the heck did you make that? You weren't making it in my beach. <laughs> anyway, he was making beer and Laszlo was just starting and they needed somebody to be a brewmaster and he really was good at it, so they yeah. hired him. Did you have any advice for him? I mean, because you were obviously very successful in the business world. Did you have any advice for your son or daughter in the business world? Did you, did, what did you tell him? I mean, because obviously he did well on his own. Uh, was he following your example? Why did he do so well? Why did he do so yeah. well? Well, I think he studied it pretty carefully. Yeah. Got hooked up with somebody at the university to right. get his stuff. And my daughter was very successful. She graduated as a, as a linguist in speech pathology. Uh-huh. And she did that for a while. And then she got into the insulin pump business, became a, a representative for them. Yeah. And, and thank God she got it now. People will say that you're the hardest worker they've ever met, that you just, you were a grinder. You were a workaholic in many ways. Well, Is that true? you know what? Everybody comes in and says, what's your hobby? I said, what I'm doing for work. <laughs> you didn't play golf? I, well, I didn't play it. To any degree, I played on Saturdays. Uh, but, you know, real golfers, they, they somehow get out on Wednesdays right. or sometime right. during the week. And every moment they got time, they got to go. Well, that took away from home. Right. And uh, I, my hobby was my work. Uh-huh. I, I always told, I liked what I did. Every day I went to work, I didn't kick the cement and say, right. I don't want to go. You it, you mentioned you're a pilot. Are, did you did you maintain that after World War II? Oh, no. I never began. I wasn't a pilot. I was a, you could fly, though, right? No. No, you could not fly. Oh, I could fly a little airplane. Yeah, yeah. But okay. I never got professional. I got that from the pilot, when beginning pilots yeah. do and uh, But I never flew a big aircraft or anything. I, I was a bombardier. You didn't, as we mentioned, you didn't go over to Europe. You weren't in the Battle no. of the Bulge. Where going, were you during that time in World War II? Well... I was in the infantry, then I went to the Air Force, waited in the Air Force, and went to a, a, to a pilot's pool. And that's when the guy told me to volunteer. I volunteered. Then I had to go to bombardier school, and I got in the deal. And then I finally got to the point where I was screwed up with the uh, A-20s. And, uh, and again, the good yeah. Lord put his hand on my right shoulder. And I was here, and they went over to South Pacific, and 15 of the 20 planes were shot down. Yeah, that, that's... So I didn't go. So where did you do your training? Where did you train? I trained at Hodge in Texas. That was a gunnery school. Um, and then I went direct from the gunnery school uh, into the pilot pool. 
Mm-hmm. And there were so many po- guys qualified for pilot. That yeah. was romantic and everybody right. wanted to be a pilot. Right. But there were so damn many of them that couldn't all get into school. Right. But yeah. there was room in the bombardier schools and the navigator schools. I said, I'll go to bombardier school. Were you scared being up there? Were you ever scared being up there knowing that you're going to drop bombs? No, I, 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 I wasn't afraid of that at all. In fact, that's what I wanted. I, I thought that was a better chance of getting shot right. on the ground right, right. or coming back without a leg. Right. I would probably come back or I wouldn't come back. Right. But yep. yeah, there were all kinds of main people right. going. That, that's Any, what that cop and I talked about in that ditch that day. Right, 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 right. We got to get out of here. We got to do gotta something. <laughs> we got to get out. Anybody that knows radio knows the name Dick Chapin, but they also know the name Jim Stewart. Yeah. Um, talk about your relationship with Jim Stewart and how that happened. Well, as I say, I got hired by KFOR, which was, uh, uh, and uh, George Smith was the manager, and things weren't going well. I mean, they just were going, KFOR billed $7,000 a month. We had 10 engineers besides the announcers and stuff. Because yeah. in those days, you couldn't touch, if you were playing a record, you had to have an That's engineer. Right. And That's then right. you had to have an engineer. Because of the unions. Yeah, you had to have an engineer to transmit uh, Right. So things were going very well. And so one day, uh, I was downtown, and I went up to Jim's office, and I said, I got a problem. And he said, what's that? And I said, well, Jim, Every time I asked George, George Bastian became the head of it then. Mm-hmm. He was Jim Stewart's kind of assistant. I said, every time something comes up, George comes to me and says, what do you think we should do? And I said, so I'm trying to sell, I'm trying to answer to George. And he said, you mean to tell me that you're being asked to do this? And I said, yes. He said, he picked up the phone, called the station, said, George, put all your stuff in a cigar box and get back downtown. Mm-hmm. I'm appointing Dick Chapin the manager. So I became the manager. So I was a, I started in March of 53, and by September I was the manager. Then, then I became, then I got a hang for the business and I wanted more to do. And I bought KRGI in Grand Island. I bought it, I went right. and talked to a guy that uh, was, very influential. Mm-hmm. And then after I got that and got it going, then I bought Sioux City. And so I just kept buying stations. And then along the past, some way, I decided newspapers were always the thing that right. we ran to with grocers and everybody else. I had mm-hmm. to be in the newspaper. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, my God, we'll get in the newspaper business. So I asked him if I could uh, buy a paper. And the first paper I bought was in Torrington, Wyoming. I did not know that. Yeah. And the second paper was up, up in uh, Wapiton, North Dakota. Wow. And so I bought two newspapers. I didn't know anything about the newspaper. <laughs> and the first thing I found out was they paid weekly and all that kind of stuff. Right. I thought I'm going to change it. They're going to pay twice a month. Uh-huh. And uh, we started the papers. And they did all right, but I found out right away they weren't near the money makers, and they weren't near much fun. Right. I could care less about. Right. And, uh, and so um, over the time while we 
syllables of the newspapers for a profit. And uh, then I wanted to get us in the billboard business. And uh, so I, I, I could buy a billboard company from a guy over in Iowa that had one in Sioux City and in, and in Lincoln. And, and uh, uh, I said, I'll buy the one in Sioux City that they're talking about if I can buy the one in Lincoln because I don't know anything about the newspaper, uh, the outdoor business. So Stuart finally condescended yeah. to let me do that. Did you use the billboards to promote your radio stations? Oh yeah, we, we used to, yeah, we used to, uh, in fact, we, when we started the Lucky Day Counter, you got so many announcements right. on KFOR, and you got so many months, you got one month of billboards, and the right. billboard coming. Awesome, awesome. I think and, uh, when I bought Springfield, uh, Illinois, billboard company, that was the time when Lady Bird Johnson was on her kick about beautifying America. Right. Cleaning up the roads and cleaning up the billboards. And when I bought Springfield, I, didn't, I, I knew what I was getting. I was, I was going to be all right. right. But they had a lot of old rickety billboards. Right. And the faces weren't even in them. They just had the stamp. And so they passed that law and we got three hundred and some thousand dollars Beautification Act that paid for half of the billboard company within the first year we had it. So Incredible. then we bought, uh, uh, then we finally got around. I wanted to get in a bigger market. I wanted to get in Omaha. And so I negotiated for Omaha. That was a very interesting experience. Where did you find the time in the day to do all these things? The newspaper business, the billboard business, the radio business, the TV industry. You were I, involved I, in everything. I. I've always said you should surround yourself with good people. Good people made you good. Bad yeah. people didn't make you very good. And yeah. I think I was very lucky in my hiring. I made a couple of mistakes, a couple of duds. What were those mistakes? What, what mistakes did you make? Cats from Wyoming in the radio business. I bought that, the oil business was good, and we, we increased the volume in, mm -hmm. in about six months almost 50% by using some of the things we were using. And things were going good, and the oil world, they shut up. Right. Shut the oil world up. They hit them down. You, you, you might as well put a sign on it down the last five, turn out the light, and it just killed her. And uh, I couldn't pull it out. Right. In fact, Jim called me up one night at home and suggested, and this is after I've done a lot of radio stations, probably 10, two newspapers, and billboard companies. And he called me at home and said he thought that maybe Jackie and I should go out to Casper and live for a while. I said, I ain't doing that. <laughs> I ain't doing that. A lot of people may not know. They, they probably just assume you were wealthy from your 30s on. Oh, yeah. But you didn't make... The big money until your late the later stages of your career. How did that happen? Oh, I just know. I I can't remember how much stuff. I I think the last last paycheck I got from Stewart uh, as a regular mm -hmm. manager was probably a hundred and fifteen thousand dollars. Right. But that came over from nineteen fifty three till I was and I was third until I was six. 65, right. so it took a while. I wasn't putting a lot of money away. 
I was just going from paycheck to paycheck. Do you regret that at all? Do you regret that? That you no, didn't put- I, I, during my career, I was once offered a job I never told Stuart about, but I got to be national president and stuff. And so people started, and I'm bragging now, but they started looking at me and knowing who I was. And uh, I had um, an offer from NBC to go to New York with them. And uh, I couldn't see Lincoln. Lincoln was always my home and I love Lincoln. And I never even, I never even entertained the thought. And yeah. then when I was at the gym one time, they, uh, <clears throat> they had a great big station in Houston, Texas so that uh, these people owned. And uh, they wanted me to go to Houston. A friend of mine recommended me. And he said, please, Dick, just go and look at it. So I went down there and was interviewed in Houston. And they showed me my office, which mm-hmm. was, had been the governor's office when he was in business. Yeah. And the same thing happened. It was more money and everything yeah. after I couldn't leave Lincoln. Now, KFOR sold recently, within the last 10 yar- years, right? Right. When, was, when did KFOR sell and you got your check? For that, when did it? Oh, yeah. I think it was 1986. Okay, 86. Uh-huh. Okay, that was a little earlier than I, I thought. He sold the whole radio thing. Yeah, all the stations. What did it sell for? Do you remember? Twenty-seven. We had. We sold it for twenty. We sold everything but Grand Island for right. twenty-four thousand, twenty-four million. But Grand Island, because of an overlap with the signal with Lincoln, they wouldn't let me sell that with the deal. So I sold it separately for $3,000, million. So we got in total $27 million for the company. Was that the end for, for you at that time with well, KFOR? But didn't your relationship with KFOR end for a time and then you came back? No, you were never, you never, okay. Oh, when he sold out, that's when I ended. That was 1986, okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay. What What do you think is the secret to your success? Well, surrounding yourself with good, talented people. But not everybody can see the talent. I mean, it's not always obvious to see no, the talent. No, you know, that's, uh, I guess, I'm just, Is I, that your gift? I say. Maybe I was lucky, but uh, I had a friend in the business at that by that time, uh, running San Diego, right. and they had the biggest station in the town, and they had the two morning guys that were, they were making about five hundred thousand apiece. Right, and he had an eye for talent. Yeah. Well, so did you. you. I mean, who would have seen a receptionist who plays the organ on the radio, in Kathy Blythe? As a radio personality, you saw that. Well, well nobody I else guess did. I was, uh, yeah, well, maybe I just had a, a good eye. I remember when we had to hire somebody and we would be going to Grand Island or something, we just turned the radio on and tuned on stations and listened to them. Right. And I had a fellow that worked for me for a long time, a wonderful guy by the name of Orb Cook. And he, I always remember the, uh, all of my, most of my success to it. Because I'd say, you hear that guy, Orb? Get his name. You call that station when we get there, and you find out who he is, 
and we'll, we'll interview him. Right. <laughs> and that's right. what we did. That's the way we You had a gift as well for hiring talent, radio talent, but also sales talent. You hired really, really good salespeople. You were a great salesman as well, but your your technique wasn't always the same as the guys you oh, hired. Oh, no. Everybody had their own technique, you know. Uh, people sold out of sympathy, sold out of friendship, sold out of golf relationship, sold out of, and then they had the guy that sold straight radio and was very disciplined. And I brought consultants in to work with our yeah. guys. I, I what was your style? Huh? What was your sales style? Ideas. I sold ideas. I didn't sell radio. Yeah. I sold like a day counter. I sold the first hour. I sold the, the almanac. I sold the best hour. So you didn't sell ratings necessarily. Oh no, never sold ratings. Because you live by the ratings, you die by them too. Right. If, if you lose your morning man, you don't get, if I had lost Scott entirely, and yeah. I could never got him back, right. uh, I don't think I already threw the stage very well. Who have, who are some of the people you've stayed in touch with in your radio career? Hmm? I know you stayed in touch with Kathy. You still talk to Kathy. Oh who, yeah, who, she who, was, yeah, she's been here many times, right? Here at Tabitha. Oh, um, oh yeah, we go out to lunch together and talk about old times. And I, I go out to lunch with my secretary. I still have my secretary. She's been with me for thirty-seven wow. years, and she, she still does a little work for me, and then. Uh, and uh, Kathy Blythe, who worked for me, and uh, Reggie Shermer, and uh, she was Jim Stewart's secretary for, for 48 years, and I hired her. And we go to lunch with them while they're right. also here, and I call. And my old pilot, my pilot, right. threw for me. Do you have any regrets? Is there anything you would have done differently? I don't. Well, I have regrets that I didn't get a couple things. I wanted to have the cable system in Lincoln, and we could have had the cable system. The opportunity <laughs> was there. I found the guy that was kind of the father of, uh, when I was on the board mm -hmm. of the National Association of Nebraska. He was in Washington, and he and I talked, and we, the telephone company was trying to get the cable here, and they weren't gonna let the telephone companies get in at the FCC Violet. So that left this open. So anybody that had the cash and wanted to get in right. and knew what they were doing. So yeah. I had him fly to Lincoln and me with Stuart and I. And he told Stuart about the opportunities and that. And he told us it was costing about $2 million to get in the business, but Jim didn't want to do it. Yeah. So we, we, that's a regret I have. Channel 7 is a big regret I have. I have. Ah. Well, I think your career worked out okay as yeah. it was. Oh, yeah. I don't think there's many things that you could look back and have much regret on. How would you like to be remembered? Oh, persistent. Yeah. Persistent. Just hard work and persistent. Is that, do you think that was the key to your, I mean, I asked you the key to your success. Oh, I, I don't know. I was just a plain boy from Nebraska. And everything I accomplished, I just, I just went after it and put all my thinking to it and, and enjoyed every minute of it. Don't you, this podcast... I will say one thing okay, you know, I have a regret. I regret that I didn't spend enough time with my children. When they were little, 
I was gone a lot. I was gone. When we we have an airplane and we're on a radio station, I visited all those stations every couple of weeks. So I was in the air at least three days a week. Right. I got home for dinner most of the times, but I regret, I have a big regret now. And I see these little kids, and particularly when they were younger, that I was so right. so driven for success. And mm. that, I, I have that in my heart. Well, you're fortunate that you've lived so long that you've gotten to know your children now. <laughs> <laughs> you've gotten to know, I'm sure, your children at a very high level in their adulthood. But you hear that a lot from athletes. I was away so much, or entertainers. I was away so much, I didn't get to know my children. That's your big regret. That's right. One of the reasons we're doing this podcast, Dick, it's called Nebraska Gems, and you mentioned it. Um, persistence is the key to your well, career. I'll go back now for just a minute. I joined the junior training. I was working at the chamber, and the guy that was running the junior chamber was taken up in yeah. one of the wars. And so the guy asked me if I'd handle the junior chamber along with my stuff. So I got all known, I got all known, known uh, of these young guys. They had to be 36 or under. So I got to know all these guys in the junior chamber. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, we were, so again, I won, I won to win a, win a national right. award. And we went to Miami and won, won the, all, the, the most awards of anybody. Yeah. And Charlie Thone was the president. I I got him in former the, governor. I got him into the presidency of the junior chamber, and he was up for the national presidency at one time, but he didn't get it. And anyhow, I got to know some of these guys, and I've hired I hired two or three of them. Right. Roger Larson was my star. I hired him. Hired Vince Galera. Hired Gay Cole. All come in because right. of that. And so. Uh, I was I was so young I was under uh, that age mm -hmm. and so uh, they had a young man award for Lincoln so I got into that and won the Lincoln's outstanding young man right. and I wanted to be the state's outstanding so right. I went for that got the state's outstanding right. young man and uh, like I told you the presidency of, of the Nebraska Broadcasters and then a state basis for the National Association and, and for the radio, I just decided, well, I'd like to do that. Uh, I just, I think part of it was, I just wanted to do some, because I was from Nebraska, and I was proud of Nebraska. Well, that's one of the reasons we created this podcast called Nebraska Gems. We're from Nebraska, and you helped create, certainly, the Lincoln radio community. There's just something about Nebraskans. You mentioned persistence is one of the qualities that you think Nebraskans have over everything. Oh, I think you got a good name for it. And I've done everything in my power to do that because, you know, we meet people around the country and wonder how they got there and what, what good fortune they had. I just wanted to prove to myself mostly that a guy from Nebraska could do these things. And so I, I found for him and did for him. And so I was very lucky. Well, Dick, you truly are a radio, TV legend, business legend in this state, and I'm so grateful you were able to sit down and talk with us today. Well, I'm delighted to come. Thank you. Thank you, Dick. Thank you very much.